Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com We're starting a foundation series. Now that picture there, can you tell me where that is? Yes, it's here. It's here. I took that picture just on that corner over there of the foundations of this building. Isn't that exciting? So exciting. So just as this place was being built, I think it was probably four years ago, um, I took a picture of that. uh, And it didn't actually look that big when you see it there, but actually what a great day that was. Um, And we're going to do a foundation series, which again, why are foundations important? Because without those foundations, we would be sinking in mud right now. We need good foundations as a building and we need good foundations as a church that we build upon those foundations. But the foundations are the most important things. Scripture and, um, well, you're going to see as we go on week on week. I'm, I'm on Scripture, as you can tell. So we're going to be studying why Scripture is important today. And I want to really give you, well, put your hand up, anybody who likes history. Okay, we've got... Wow, okay, we've got about 12 people who should be interested in this preach. The rest of you, it's okay, just try and be interested. Um, so I'm going to give you a history lesson of this country, basically, which I think is just mind-bogglingly exciting. But you might not, but that's okay, because I, I, I think it is. Um, so let's go to 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17. I'm going to read this to you. Um, And it says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able, listen to this, which are the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's a key scripture. Listen to this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that great? All scripture is God-breathed. So what would it be like for us if we didn't have this Bible, your Bible, maybe it's on your phone. What would it be like for us today if we had no clue of what the Word of God was? For us to be followers of Jesus, we have to hear and understand the message passed down to us. So the verse says, all scripture is God-breathed. So as this picture, as this picture shows, this, this picture shows a straight road. And if you stay on the straight road, it's, it's, it's quite easy. And that's like the the word of God. But sometimes people down the years and centuries have diverted from the straight road and have ended up in all sorts of error. The Bible, Scripture, is a straight road. So let's have a look at the next amazing verse of Scripture. And it's Romans 10, verses 14 to 17. It says these words, How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See how important our scripture is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We cannot be saved by God without our understanding of the message of truth. The message of truth is clearly written in the Bible. So I hope you are digesting, and that's a good word, digesting the Bible. Okay, so I want to talk about history today. Some of you come from countries where the Bible is illegal, which is an incredible thing. And yet I want to talk to you about this country, and it might shock some of you to say that once upon a time, really, to read the Bible was illegal in this country. It's a shocking thing, isn't it, when we think about our generation? George Santanyana said these words, to know your future, you must know your past. Now, that's very simple, you think, but think about that. To know your future, you must know your past. Why? See, we can learn so much, can't we, from our past mistakes, but also, and we don't tend to learn from our past mistakes as a, as a, as a people, but we can also really learn the values of things that people fought for. Otherwise, we just take them for granted. So I want to talk you through this. Now, I'm going to bring a caveat in here. When I mention the Catholic Church, I am not saying or criticizing the Catholic Church today. I'm saying this is how it was in the 14th and 15th century, okay? So let me tell you about it. England in the 1500s, the Catholic Church was in charge, okay? And it was more like a political power, okay? It did not allow the churchgoer to read the Bible. They, could, they couldn't anyway because it was all in Latin. Most of the priests, imagine this, didn't understand it either, the only one who truly understood it was the Pope in Rome. Most of the power of the church, to tell you the situation, came from selling something called indulgences. So this is when someone had committed sins. So I say myself, I would go to the Catholic church and then I would pay money to the church and my sin would be, I would be told that my sin would be forgiven and that when I died, I'd go to heaven as long as I paid the money. Wow. Then this certain chap came along in Germany, an absolute legend of a man called Martin Luther. And he was the first to challenge this incorrect doctrine in 1517. You say, well, that's a long time ago, but it actually in the term of history is not long ago. And he, after translating the Bible into German, he discovered that salvation from God was by faith alone, by grace. Isn't that amazing? He, with his incredible learning of language, got the Latin Bible, translated it back, had a look at the original Greek and the Hebrew, and found these wonderful truths, especially in Romans. What a mind-blowing thing that must have been for him. And so this caused incredible things in Germany. They were starting to discover salvation. And it was his study of the scriptures that brought truth. And this sparked huge change. 
This change was coming to England. You can see God moving in the background through this. See, this change comes when the Holy Spirit illuminates the reader to the truth. Because all, as I read in the beginning, all scripture is God-breathed, okay? So Martin Luther, as he's reading the, the truth, his mind is illuminated, his heart is illuminated, he's born again, and he cannot help but tell others. So I want to introduce you to my main person I'm going to talk about today, which is Jesus, but then secondary, it's William Tyndale, okay? Anybody heard of William Tyndale? Yeah, I'm sure most of you have. So where, where did this English Bible come from? Where did my Bible and yours on your phone with 50 different translations on it, where did it come from? How did it come to us? Have you ever considered that? I want this story to wake us up because it's woken me up. The early 1400s, I want you to use your imagination today. The early 1400s were very, very dark days in England. Parliament... Listen to this, Parliament, if you watch it on BBC One, but in these days, Parliament had created a law known as the burning of heretics, okay? It was illegal to own a Bible or translate one from the Latin, illegal. So in 1408, the Archbishop of Canterbury wrote that no translation of the Latin Bible should be made as it would be untrustworthy, so he said. And the punishment for this would you be, you would be burned at the stake. You would be burned at the stake. And in 1519, seven Wycliffe preachers were burned at the stake. What for? For teaching the Lord's Prayer to their children in English. This is this country. This isn't someplace far, far away. This is England. So God, in his incredible mastery had to raise someone up here he he'd risen up martin luther in germany who is he going to raise up here william tyndale so william tyndale was born in around 1494 we hardly know much about him and you'll see why in a bit he was born in in somewhere in gloucestershire he was educated an incredibly intelligent man he was educated at magdalen hall at six years old which is in in uh, oxford Okay, later called Hartford College. He went to university, we call it, at six. It was like a preliminary teaching, which is an incredible thing at six years old, isn't it? And then he got a BA in 1512 and then an MA in 1515. But he would never see in all of his studies a Bible at Oxford. They were shielded from Bibles. And then he attended Cambridge between 1519 and 1521. But Martin Luther's books were beginning to find their way into this university. So he started to read these books, which challenged and opened up what the truth said, what the Bible actually said from God. And he started to get a hunger and a thirst for this truth. And he gathered around him in a local inn some incredible men of God, men called to do the same job he was going to do. So there was Ridley. There was Coverdale, you might have, uh, there's a Coverdale version of the Bible, a Cranmer and Latimer. And there was more in this group. And nine martyrs, that is people who died for the cause of Christ, came from that original group. So Tyndale was a gifted linguist. And over the years, you can see why God raised him up. 
in the Bible it says that not many of us are um, rich or super intelligent maybe, but this man certainly was. He was fluent in French, Greek, Hebrew, German, Italian, Latin, and Spanish. And if you spoke to him in one of those languages, it would sound like he was from Spain or Italy. He was that fluent. In addition to that, all, all that, obviously, in addition to his native English, he was learning as he was looking the original Bible, which he'd got, he was learning that saving faith came through grace alone. He translated the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into English. It had never been done before with such provision. He was called the Apostle of England. He was a linguistic genius. And as he translated the Bible, listen to this, remember, we take so much for granted, don't we, in our culture. There was no dictionary in those days, okay? So as he was translating the Bible, he was finding new words. I find this amazing. So he brought new words to us like scapegoat, Jehovah, atonement. Not only that, but in those days, and it always baffled me why so, um, someone's name would be spelt four different ways because it was however you chose to, to spell it in those days. But, but Tyndale came along and put together order in the English language. This is what he did for the entire country, let alone translating the Bible. No one, 50 scholars, 50 scholars got together in 1611 to write the King James Version. Maybe you've got that version today. And they couldn't improve on his translation. Isn't that amazing? 50 scholars. He never married, he lived as a fugitive, lived in secret, in back rooms, always with a threat to his life, and he lived for one purpose. So I'm just going to tell you as quickly as I can, without missing the best bits, his story. Okay, so in 1521, after Cambridge, after he's done all of that study, Tyndale becomes a chaplain to the house of Sir John Walsh in Little Sodbury, near Bristol, and he tutors his children. In this tiny little hamlet, he's coming to the realisation, as he's still studying the original Bible, he's starting to understand how lost England is. It's in darkness. There's no knowledge of God. Why? Because the established church is shielding the people from the truth, but making lots and lots of money out of it. How disgraceful, isn't it? Even the priests, as I said before, did not know the truth. It was darkness over this land. So the Bible had to be translated into this language because faith comes by hearing. Now, John Fox, who wrote Fox's Book of Martyrs, describes an argument with a learned and blasphemous clergyman, so a church leader, who asserted to Tyndale that we had better be without God's laws than the popes. Listen to that, yeah? We had better... In other words, trust the Pope more than God. Amazing to say. What did Tyndale say in response to this man of high standing? He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life uh, many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? basically saying I'm my my mission is to get the bible so out there that the person lowest in society will know more of the bible than you as a religious leader do wow great bravery deep conviction totally focused 
Why? He knew the internal cost of not knowing the scriptures. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He now knew that the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he sets out on his mission. Can you imagine these days? How much maybe fear, trepidation was in his heart. Tyndale left for London in 1523 to seek permission from Bishop Cuthbert Tunstall and the very famous Henry VIII. (laughs) And he's going there to to ask permission to translate the Bible into English. Obviously, what happened? Tunstall turned him down flatly. And Martin Luther, who had produced the German Bible a year before and turned Germany upside down, actually brought a peasant's revolt. Okay, that's what happened when people started to understand the Bible and knew this, this, is, this is not what we're being told here, it caused a revolt, similar to what's happening in some countries around the world. The Catholic Church thought the same would happen in, in England, and so they had to hold control. We, they could not allow the truth to come out. So after the refusal, Tyndale accepted the help of a London merchant named Humphrey Monmouth. You know, We can so easily think rich people are greedy and all that, but how good is it to see a rich person use their riches for the gospel? Here is a a London merchant, a millionaire, who decides to fund Tyndale to go to Germany to translate the Bible. What an incredible legacy. Humphrey Monmouth. He underwrote the costs of traveling and the setup costs in Germany in 1524. And Tyndale would never come back to this country ever again. And he had to live a mouth, hand-to-mouth existence. He was dodging the authorities as a hunted man. His mission was one mission only. Translate the Bible into English in Germany and then smuggle it back into England by ship. And that's been done in China, hasn't it? That's been done in China. But think about it. The same thing was happening here 550 years ago. It doesn't seem long to me. And the Bible was still being preached in Latin, which nobody understood. So in 1524, he and his secretary moved to Hamburg to meet Luther and then to Cologne in Germany. This was a large city where he could work in secret and he began printing the New Testament. Now, even the printer of any Bible would also be killed. It was that serious. So Tyndale had translated and printed in the the New Testament. So he started at the New Testament. He printed and translated up to Matthew 22, verse 12. But then there was a raid on the printing works, and he had to gather up his, his papers, and he fled up the River Rhine to a place called Worms, which is where Luther had translated. And he started printing again. You see how dogged this man is. He just doesn't give up. He's, he's, got, he's as a man on a mission. He starts printing, printing again in this major city, and he's by a river with a paper mill, with a willing printer, and he finishes the entire New Testament in English about a month later. That is an incredible mission accomplished. 
And so in 1526, he smuggles the New Testament that you might have on your phone or you might have in your possession. He smuggles the New Testament back to England in bales of cotton. What a mission. So copies begin to arrive in England about a month later. Now suddenly the people working in the fields get together and start to read the truth together. Can you imagine the first time you open the Bible and understand and they are able to read what God originally was meant, what it was, we were originally meant to read? Can you imagine the revelation, the joy that was rising in people's hearts? They read it to one another. And even though the church said you will never understand it without the church translating it, they found that they were receiving life. Have you received life from reading your Bible? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in October 1526, is, is that original Bishop Tunstall, he had all the copies that he could trace, trace gathered, and he burned them at St. Paul's Cross in London. This is a man, a religious man, gathering up Bibles and burning them at St. Paul's Cross. Still, they circulated. Now, Tunstall arranged, again, this, this religious leader, arranged to buy all of them as they came into the country. And then he burned them in bulk, that amazing but this was working out beautifully for Tyndale because the more he purchased the more money Tyndale had to produce more so he, he translated it more and he made um, further rev- uh, translation and further revision and then he started on the Old Testament when he was in Antwerp and at one point he was sailing just picture this again we're not on laptops we're not on the internet he's using probably a quill with ink he's writing out the old testament and at one point he's sailing to hamburg to print deuteronomy and the ship goes down and he loses all his work he's not got it saved somewhere (laughs) it's not on the cloud both money copies and time is all over I would start to think, Lord, did you really call me to this? Maybe someone else could take over. But what did he do? He started all over again. (laughs) He started the Old Testament all over again. And he completed the Pentateuch, the first five books of of the Bible, between Easter and December. Can you imagine how much he's working? And he's not working under electric light. He's working under candlelight and daylight. So any agents, not only was he working hard, but agents were coming to get him from England. Agents were sent out from Henry VIII to hunt him down as if he was a major criminal. So back in Antwerp, Tyndale printed those first five books in 1530. And copies were in England by the summer. Revisions, shorter translations followed. And this is where his name really started to be pulled down. He was called the Captain of English heretics. He was called a hellhound. This is a man who's doing God's work. He was called a new Judas. Tyndale was sacrificing his life. He knew where this would end. Henry VIII, fearing this man's influence, sends somebody to try and find him. Nobody could find him. This guy was called Stephen Vaughan, and he was quite sympathetic to the Reformation. So he goes in search of Tyndale. Nobody can find him, but eventually he sends seven different letters to different cities in Germany to try and trace him. 
And eventually this message gets delivered to Vaughan and it says, from Henry VIII, it says, if you will come back to England, you can have a salary for the rest of your life as long as you stop translating the Bible. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, what would he say to that? What would you say to that in those days with great poverty? You would have a salary for life. Stop translating the Bible. Tyndale agrees, but says, I agree to come home as long as you send somebody else to translate the Bible. If not, I'm not stopping. This is Henry VIII who has no fear about taking someone's head off, okay? So waves of men keep looking for Tyndale. And in 1534, listen to this, this is remarkable. It's like a story from a, from a parable. There's a, a, a rich man called Henry Phillips in England, and he, he's sending his son down to London to deposit a large, I mean a large amount of money, okay? So in those days, you couldn't do um, transfers on your phone. There was no phone, okay? There was no internet. The way that you would deposit a large amount of money, you would actually take it by hand or by sack, or something stronger, and go down on a horse and cart down to London to deposit it in a bank. A bank. Those are things that we once had on corners of streets. And this is what had to happen here. So Henry, Henry, Henry Phillips gave it to his son. His son took, I don't know how much it was, it was well over a million pounds, down to London. But on the way, this prodigal <laughs> decided he would gamble and gamble and gamble and gamble. He lost the lot. By the time he got to London, he'd gambled and blown all of the money. You couldn't make this up, could you? All the money was gone. Listen, the church understood this. They got hold of this. They they heard about this story and thought, here is our opportunity to get Tyndale. So they called this son in who was devastated and full of guilt and said, don't you worry, don't you, don't, 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 don't worry about a thing. We've got a master plan. If you can find William Tyndale and have him executed, we will pay back all of the money. Now, what did, what did this boy, what choice did he have? He went off into Germany and started to look for Tyndale with a group of men. And he starts to blend in. And in 1535, Henry Phillips finds Tyndale and starts to get to know him as a friend, starts to to become one of his associates, but then leads him out on a walk. And as the pathway starts to narrow, he has soldiers grouped either side of the pathway to grab um, William Tyndale. And sure enough, bang, they got him. After 12 years on the run, William Tyndale is caught. He betrayed him to the Antwerp authorities and had him kidnapped. Amazingly enough, God sent a man called John Rogers to go and gather up all of Tyndale's work. And he started translating then and smuggling the Bibles into England. John Rogers was executed as a heretic in 1555 by Queen Mary I after Okay, so Tyndale was then imprisoned at Vilvord in near Brussels for 16 months on a charge of heresy. Even Thomas Cromwell, you might know from school, the most powerful man next to Henry VIII, moved to get him released. But Phillips in Belgium, this man who'd lost all that money, acting on behalf of the papal authorities, blocked all the moves. He wanted his money. 
And on the morning of 6th of October, 1536, Tyndale was charged with heresy, taken to the place of execution. He was bound with a chain around his neck. He was tied to the stake with gunpowder all around him, strangled, burned. Sorry to tell you this, but you have to, we have to know how much this Bible cost us. Then gunpowder caught fire and his body was blown to bits. His last words reportedly were, O oh Lord, open the king of England's eyes. His crime was translating the Bible that we love into English for us. His dying request found its fulfillment just two or three years later when Henry's authorization of the Great Bible for the Church of England. How amazing that God would work through a king like that, but this is what God does. He's sovereign. And it was mostly Tyndale's work which caused that Bible. God used a king like Henry VIII to fulfill his purposes. Tyndale's version also featured prominently in the Geneva Bible, which was then taken to the New World, to Jamestown in 1607. It was on the Mayflower in 1620, notably in 1611. 54 independent scholars who created the King James Version drew significantly from Tyndale. Can you see how much influence this man had? He gave his life up for this country's salvation. What a legacy has left us. How costly are the words of that Bible that you own? And yet today, isn't it interesting that we're in a different era? Because today I could go and find, I could go maybe go into even a stranger's house and possibly find a Bible on the shelf. And yet we're again in a time of darkness. What is going to happen next? What is God's plan? Who is he going to raise up next? It's an amazing times, isn't it? Is God working through you? Are you loving these scriptures? Are you soaking in what an incredible thing that Tyndale did? I'm going to read one more verse to you here, which is a great verse of scripture. It says, we also have, this is 2 Peter 1 verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Some of you may think, oh, well, you know, the Bible, it's just written by man. This verse tells you very clearly this is God's work. He uses man to write it down, but this is God's original work. What I want from this talk, what I want from... What we want from the Foundation series is for us to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And one of the ways we can know Him is through the powerful Word of God. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links. 
featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.